Palm Sunday today, Suzanne talked a little bit about that already. Palm Sunday is a day we remember the events of when Jesus entered, excuse me, entered his last week of ministry. He rode into Jerusalem as king on a donkey, um, coming into town. There's great significance in that. We're going to talk about that. Rode into town and, and basically announced himself and said, I really am who you think I am. You're all wondering about it, but I'm telling you, I really am the king, and here I come into town. So let's read about that story. Grab your Bibles. Get your Bibles today? On your phones even, or in your hand, if you don't have a Bible. Um, in the seats in front of you, there's some Bibles. Take one of them. Turn to the very first book of the New Testament. The book of Matthew. Near the end, because we're coming near the end of Jesus' life. So the end of the book of Matthew, chapter 21. And we're going to read the story about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus riding the town, and then we're going to look at um, what we learn from this story. And maybe, I hopefully, look at it in a way that you haven't looked at it before, because some of you will do this, and please don't ever do this. They'll go, oh yeah, it's good, it's Palm Sunday, it's Good Friday, it's Easter, I know it all. Here's the deal, you never know it all. Right? You there, Matthew chapter 21? Let's read the first 14 verses. It says, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, saying, To the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal, the beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed, and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. When Jesus entered, entered the temple, and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. We'll stop right there. Let's think about it on that day. On that day, if you put it in context of the rest of the New Testament, Jesus is beginning his very last week of earthly life and ministry. Now, Jesus is still alive and he's still ministering. But his very last week on earth of earthly life and earthly ministry, and he begins what we call in the church world the Passion Week. And boy, you say, why Passion Week? Passion because it's talking about Jesus. This was what he was the most passionate about. He gave his life for this, to, to, to give his life for you and me. So he begins his Passion Week. And what happens? Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and this huge crowd of people cheered his coming. 
It says they laid palm branches and cloaks on the road, and they shouted this. They shouted something, and what they shouted was very significant. You might read over it and go, well, what's that mean? They shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us now. Remember, they were, they were an oppressed people under Roman control, Jewish people who had been delivered in the past by, by people like Moses, and they're saying they were, they knew there was another deliverer coming, and Jesus comes riding into town, and they understand who he is, and they start saying, Hosanna, save us now, son of David. Hosanna, son of David. They're saying, you are a descendant of David, our great king, this promised one, so save us now, promised deliverer, save us, son of David. That's why they followed up saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going, look who's coming. This great promise of God is here. Then once he comes in the city to this grand parade is what it is. He comes in the city and Jesus, what's the first thing he does? He doesn't preach a sermon. He goes into the temple, the main worship place for the nation of Israel. He goes into the temple and he starts doing some business. He starts chasing people out and overthrowing their tables. So if your only picture of Jesus is this meek guy petting lambs, um, Jesus went in there and he starts throwing tables and driving people out of the temple, the money changers and those who are making a profit and selling animals. And he says something to him. He goes, listen, it's also based on prophecy. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves or you've made it a robber's den. What an important day in Jesus' life. What an important day in the story that God is writing, is writing if for all of humanity. These events that had, had to occur, this day had to happen to accomplish the plan that God has for humanity. That day, and this is why I want to think about this today, that incredibly important day, and we're going to break the day down and look through it, for it, through it that day was basically a one act in a divine drama, that God's had this divine drama take, has taking place, and that day was one act that had to take place for the drama to make sense. And this, the God has this divine drama that's taking place act by act since the dawn of time. See, what we need to understand is we're not just willy-nilly going through life, that there is this divine drama being lived out, orchestrated by God, and every one of us, including the people on that day, are part of it. This drama where God is and has been orchestrating the events of mankind for all of time, since before creation. A divine drama that began at the creation of this world, the creation of mankind, and that includes everything that's happened. It includes God creating man, it includes man's rebellion from God. It's been designed, the drama, in now a way to reconcile mankind back to God through the Savior who rode in on a donkey that day, Jesus, the very Son of God. And this drama continues now as every person accepts or rejects Jesus as their Savior, as he rides into their lives. And the divine drama will continue throughout all of eternity as those who turn to Jesus will live with him eternally alive in his kingdom, and complete in his presence. So what we see here is one act of this drama, that there is this drama going on. God putting scenes together to accomplish his divine purposes. And that day, Palm Sunday, over 2,000 years ago, was an incredibly important act 
in this eternal divine drama that God is having played out through all of creation, through all the cosmos, and with every one of us. And what I want to do today, as we look at this story, is I want to look at some of the characters that were involved in the drama on that day. I want, to, I want to look at some of the people that were involved in that one act of that one day because some of them would never be remembered if we didn't take time to relive the day. And we're going to find out as we remember them that they're going to say something to us that's important for us today. So let's think of this story, the, the Jesus coming into, to the, into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry and cleansing the temple, this one day act. Let's think of this and let's think about three players in the drama. And these are the players we're going to look at, the actors in the drama. We're going to look at the donkeys, we're going to look at thieves, and we're going to look at prophets. And they're going to all say something to us today. The actors in the play, donkeys, thieves, and prophets. Because I think each one of them has something incredibly important to us to say to us today. The first one is donkeys. Who could believe a donkey could have anything important for you to say to you today? But I think the donkeys have something important to say to us. The donkey's in the drama. The drama that started in the, that day in an unusual way. Jesus told two of his disciples to go into the village and find a donkey and its colt, so a baby donkey, and to bring them to him. And then Jesus puts coats on the baby donkey, which in and of itself is a miracle, because it didn't buck him off and, it was able, and it, he was able to sit on it. And Jesus rides the donkey into Jerusalem. Now you will say, well, big deal. It is a big deal, because this had great historical and prophetic significance. You see, entering Jerusalem in that way told everyone that he was the promised king that they had been hoping and praying for. See, because when he rode into town on a donkey that day, he was fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy from the prophet Zechariah. Um, that's what, look at your Bible. That's what verse 5 is. You notice how in verse 5... It's set apart the way it's written in your Bible. The verses are set apart. They're kind of, they're kind of set as one separate paragraph and they're, and they're indented in. There's a reason for that today. It's saying this is something we took from somewhere else. That we took it from the Old Testament. This is what Zechariah said. It's setting it apart, saying that this is what was occurring there. So, so for 500 years earlier, Zechariah the prophet had said this. And they understood he was a message from God said, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is why all the people gathered and spread their palm branches and their coats in the road and yelled, Hosanna, save now, son of David, because they knew the message Jesus was sending when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was saying to them, I am the promised king sent from God, I'm here for you today. So the donkeys have great significance for that prophetic reason. And some of you maybe have known that already. But I think the donkeys have another reason for being part of the act in the divine drama that day. And this is the one I want us to think about that you've probably not thought about before. And it's this. The donkeys teach us that there are no unimportant parts in God's play. In other words, there's no small roles. There's no unimportant parts in God's play. We are over 2,000 years later talking about a donkey. Think about that. 
in the most read book in the history of the world, the, the Bible has been distributed more than any other book by far in the history of the world, we are reading about two donkeys that existed somewhere there in Jerusalem. A donkey, a beast of burden, stubborn, not very smart, not very cute. Horses are cute, donkeys are not so much. Some of you might disagree, but it's kind of the way as somebody will say, oh, it's a face only a mother could love. You know, they're not very cute. You know, some of you, when I say that, you know, that, that, the, that they're stubborn and not so smart, and not very cute, a person might pop into your mind. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about a donkey. And those donkeys that day had a vital part to play in God's story. And this is the message. There are no unimportant parts. There's no unimportant people in God's story. And this is something I think we all need to remember. Every one of you sitting in this room needs to know this today. That we are all important players in the divine drama. That God's not forgotten about everyone, any one of you. That every single one of you has a part that God intends for you to play. You know, donkeys could have refused to go, but they went. We all have important parts to play. Yes, yeah, some parts may seem to draw more attention in God's divine drama. I'm the guy standing up here talking, you're sitting listening, you're going, oh, that's a more important part. I don't believe it is. Some may seem to be more important, some may seem to be less important, but I guarantee you if the Lord tarries for 2,000 years, no one's going to remember Mark Larson in Port Washington. I don't believe it, they won't. But they're going to remember the donkeys in Jerusalem. There's no unimportant parts. Um, some may seem big and draw attention, some may seem small, but that's not how God sees it, and it's not how he wants us to see it. When he's doing the drama, he thinks even the donkeys are important. And this is the message he wants you to hear. I honestly believe, I, I start this entire message because of this one thought today, that every single one of you is important to God, and is important to Portview. And it's important to other people. And it's important because you are part of a divine drama that God has written. God's the one who scripted it all. And he cast you for the part. Every single one of you is vital to God's plan, to accomplishing what God wants, which is ultimately to take his message of love around the world. That's ultimately his plan. Every one of you is important. There are not any superstars in the kingdom of God other than God himself. We make the mistake of people of making superstars in the kingdom. God doesn't see superstars in the kingdom of God. Understand this, friends. He is the hero of the story. Not us. We are all just blessed participants in the divine drama. So today, if you feel small and unimportant in this world, you know what? Know that that's not true. You're believing something that's not true. You have been cast by God to play a vital role in accomplishing His eternal drama meant for all of humanity. And maybe the opposite. If you're sitting in here today and you're feeling pretty big and important in this world, you know what? Maybe you even have a tendency to look down your nose at those who seem less successful or less important. Just remember something. Jesus can use a donkey to accomplish His mission. 
Be grateful for the gifts and the opportunities you've been given. And remember that those gifts and abilities have been given to you to accomplish God's plans, His drama, not whatever plans you may create in your own mind, in your own life. So what do we learn from the donkeys? We learn that there are no unimportant people in God's drama. And every single one of you, and every one of your neighbors, and every one of your kids, and every one of your friends, and everyone you don't even know yet, God has cast in the divine drama. They can choose to refuse to play along, but he has a part for you to play in accomplishing his goodness in this world. So there are no people who are unimportant in God's drama. So that's what we learn from donkeys. Now, that's pretty important, right? Well, there's more we can learn here. So let's move on to the next players in the Palm Sunday drama, and that's the thieves. We don't usually talk about thieves in church. We talk about the good people. But the story talks about thieves. And here's the deal. All dramas have to have a villain, right? That if there is no drama in the drama, there is no drama. So for a drama to be a drama, there has to be drama. And so you have to have a bad guy or a villain. And on that day, after Jesus rode into town on a donkey, he enters a temple and he ran smack dab into a bunch of crooks, into a bunch of thieves. Now, for their credit, they were really nice religious thieves. You know, they, were, they, they looked well. They probably dressed nice. They went to church. They were actually in the temple. They were nice religious thieves, but they were thieves nonetheless. These were the folks that were getting rich off the temple activity. They did things like exchanging currency for the worshipers who came from other countries so that those worshipers could then purchase animals um, for the ritual sacrifice or they were the ones who sold the animals at exorbitant prices to make a profit so people could fulfill their obligations to do the sacrifices they were supposed to do under Judaism. What they did is they made big profits. They profited off of the work of God and, and, and lined their pockets excessively. And so Jesus said what they did is they turned the house of prayer, the temple, into a den of robbers. So what can we possibly learn from these characters in this act of God's divine drama? Well, the most obvious one would be that we would not want to be people who are getting rich off other spiritual lives. That would be true. But I think there is something else that we can take from this that has a much wider application because not many of you this morning set up a booth in the cafe and were selling doves or exchanging money or doing something that you were profiteering off of the work of God going on at Portview Church. So there's something broader that I think even applies to us in a much more personal way, and it's, it's this. Let's ask ourselves, what thieves exist in our lives, in my life, your life, that rob us from establishing ourselves as houses of prayer. Let me explain what I mean. Let's think about this. We know from the New Testament that the temple in Jerusalem that they went to, that Jesus drove the people out of, is that temple still there? No. It was destroyed just a, just a, a couple of decades after Jesus. It was destroyed in AD 70. And that temple's gone. But then the New Testament, through Jesus and, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Apostle Paul, and he tells us something else. He said that temple's been destroyed, but he says there's still temples. He says something amazing to people who follow after him, who've come to know him as Savior and Lord. He said, we 
are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. That now God's Spirit dwells within His people. He says, I don't live in place of, of brick and mortar anymore. Now I live in my church. I live in my people. Not in this building. This building is, is, is nice. But this isn't where the Spirit dwells. The reason you feel the Spirit in such fullness when you come together is because the Spirit dwells in you. And we come together. And we recognize from the New Testament that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. That if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And according to Jesus here in this story, that we're reading this one act of the divine drama, if you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, then your life is supposed to be a life where your temple is a house of prayer. You understand that connection? The temple is supposed to be a house of prayer. If you are the temple, then you and I are supposed to be houses of prayer. We should be people of prayer. Now let's think about that. What's that mean? It means that as people who have been given the incredible opportunity to interact with God, that's what prayer is. Prayer is interacting with God. That as people who have been given this incredible opportunity, our spiritual life has been renewed because of Jesus. The light switch has gone on where we were spiritually dead, now we're spiritually alive. And we have the opportunity to interact with God that is a temple, that is a house of prayer. That the reality be that I live my life fully in that reality. See, we have a choice in this matter. I can live each day of my life by my own wit by my own ideas, by my own reasoning, by my own strength. You can do that, I can do that. And you know what, as people, we can do some really amazing things in the process. You know, think Egyptian pyramids. Think Taj Mahal. Think Roman Empire. All of those things that man has accomplished by their own ability, by their own wit, really without the intervention of God. Because oftentimes they were opposed to what God is doing. Think of those things. People can do some amazing things by their own strength, by their own ability, by their own wit, because mankind is created in the image of God, and that makes us be able to do amazing things. I can live my life as a quote-unquote Christian without much known, meaning realized, interaction with God. I can basically live Christianity as a philosophy of life. Rules to live by, which simply becomes empty religion. I can do that. You can do that. Or I can live a different way, and that's what this is talking about. I can live a different way where my house, me, is a house of prayer. Where I intentionally live my days seeking after the Lord's involvement and His presence in my life. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is simply engaging with God. It's not necessarily, prayer doesn't have to be kneeling on your knees beside your bed at night, although that is wonderful if you kneel down and you pray. It's not what it's talking about here. That could be a little part of it. It's talking about a life lived with a hunger for God's presence and therefore a pursuit of His reality where you actually spend time and energy being with God, where that is a pursuit of your life, where if they're going to put a banner up and say, this is the house of something, you can go someplace and say, this is the house of Harley-Davidson. Right? But wouldn't you want it to say above you, according to this, this is the house of prayer. What defines us? 
What, what banner would be above my door that my life is defined as a house of prayer or this is a house of, of fishing or this is a house of making money or this is a house of whatever. And what's getting at here is we have a choice to make. What do we want to define our lives? Jesus is coming in and saying, listen, these guys, you, you messed up what my house is supposed to be and there's a very clear thing it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. So a house of prayer, a life of prayer, understand this. It's not about have to. It's about want to. It's about a want to that springs from knowing that nothing is really greater than being aware of and engaged with the presence of God in our lives. Because what's it say? In thy presence is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are our pleasures forevermore. That we understand that the only place of real joy is in the presence of God. And the only place then to be in, the way to be in the presence of God is to live a life of prayer where I'm actively seeking to engage in the reality and the presence of God. And then believing that to be true, we ask this question based on the story today. What is keeping me from a life of prayer? What is keeping me from a life of connecting with God What things are robbing my time and my energy? What things am I placing in places of greater importance than that of being really aware of being in the presence of the Lord? And I would think today on Palm Sunday would be a great day to do some self-evaluation and say, God, is the banner above my life house of prayer or is it a house of Harley or a house of something else? And if something else rises to to the top, then you know what we need to do? We need to do what Jesus did. We need to drive out some thieves from our lives. Jesus, it took him energy. It took boldness. It took courage. He had to go in there. He's, they could have killed him on the spot. He goes in there and he, he chases them out. One, one of the Gospels says he made a whip and he chased them out. Again, he's not petting a sheep. He's chasing them out of the temple and saying, you're doing something wrong here. He's flipping their tables over. He got serious about saying, this does not belong. Let's welcome what does belong. And so, friend, maybe it's time we do some evaluation and drive some thieves out of our lives. And what we are doing, really, is we're simply choosing best over good. In thy presence is fullness of joy. We're choosing that over thinking something else could really give me joy, because nothing else can. So we learn something from these actors. Again, people who would never be remembered, a couple of thieves in the temple. But we we learn something important from them today. So we learn something from the donkeys. We learn something from the thieves. And what was the last one we said we were going to look at today? Do you remember? The prophet. The prophet. This crowd, on that day, in that divine drama, asked a question when Jesus rode into town. They asked this question to the people standing around. They said, who is this? That's what the text says. They asked one another, who is this guy? He's riding into town. He's on a, top, on a donkey. We understand the idea of it. It's a fulfillment of Zachariah's prophecy. Who is this guy? And the others answered. They had an answer. They said, this is the prophet, Jesus. Were they right? They were partly right. I would say this. They were, the crowd had partially right. See, Jesus is a prophet. He is. Because a prophet is someone who comes with a message from God to mankind and speaks his message from God to mankind. That's what Jesus was doing. So he fulfills the job of being a prophet. But Jesus is so much more than that. 
Because he didn't just bring a message, and hear me. He didn't just bring a message. He is the message. Jesus was offering himself. He wasn't saying, listen to what I say. He's saying, look at who I am. Jesus is the message. He is the promise, one that the prophecies told about. He is God himself come to mankind in a way that we can more fully grasp than just some idea of a nebulous spirit. That Jesus has come to reveal God, who he is to us. See, many prophets had come before Jesus your, the whole Old Testament, a huge section of it, is called major and minor prophets. They were prophets who had come. And you know what they primarily were prophesying about? They were all prophesying about Jesus coming. They were prophesying about Him. They were looking forward to, the, to the, how God was going to put the drama together to someday culminate in Jesus coming. That's what the prophecies prophesied about. But Jesus comes and says, I am the prophecy. He is the prophecy fulfilled. He rode into town that day to offer himself as, yes, prophet, but as king, as God, as savior, as Lord to all of humanity. He said, I am God, come to you. And friends, understand this today. He's still doing that today. He's not riding on a donkey, but he is still today offering himself to us. He still says, come and follow me. Friends, the most important question that any of us can still ask is what the crowd asked that day. Who is this? Is Jesus, and let's be honest, on Palm Sunday, a day when Jesus got serious about stuff. He was serious enough to say, I am who you think I am, and serious enough to cleanse the temple and, and face all the repercussions from that. We need to ask ourselves, is Jesus really, really, my notes I've really underlined, really our Savior and our Lord? Really? Does anything about my life prove that that's true? If somebody else were evaluating my life, would they think it's true? Is Jesus really my Savior and my Lord? Am I really following Him? Really? Am I following Jesus? Am I really interacting with him? That's what prayers are. Am I really, in, in my day this morning already and, and in my day later today, am I really going to interact with this ever-present God who's here now for me? Am I really loving him? Jesus defined all the prophets this way. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Am I really walking in that? Friends, here's the deal. As we evaluate, we understand this. He's here for us today. He came that day to offer himself. He's still offering himself today. And you know what he's saying to us? He's saying, I'll partner with you. He's saying, let's toss some thieves out of the house. That's what he's saying to us today. Let's flip over a few tables, Mark. Come on, Mark, as you're looking inside, there's some things that you could be... Not, and again, it's not, it's not earning. It's not, I have to please God. It's God saying, Mark, your life would be so much better if that wasn't there anymore. And he's saying, it's Palm Sunday, man. I'm right here with you. Let's flip that table over. Let's flip it over. And God is here with us today by his spirit to toss some thieves out of the way so that we can run to him today.
So let's end our thinking and our time together today by in our minds and our hearts being open to the Lord and being willing to push everything else aside so that we can run to Jesus. That we can, we could run to Him. You could spend some time running to this altar today and come and seek Him and seek all of His fullness. Spend some time as a worship team plays worshiping today and say, I just want to, I want to celebrate you as the, as the King who has come, the fulfillment of prophecy. Spend some time in prayer just saying, God, really? Am I really where, where I want to be with you? Would you stand with me this morning?